I want to begin <clears throat> by um, reiterating and emphasizing something that Gil, uh, when he answered a question this morning, that I think is very important. Um, he was talking about that there's more than one way as we continue our exploration of the Anapanasati and in particular this structure of these 16 steps divided into four tetrads, four groups of four, that there's not just one way to approach this system or this structure, not just one way to work with it. And so he had said for some people, uh, what really works best, it's, it serves them best, it's a, it's, or maybe feels most natural, is, is to work systematically you know, through the steps. You know, and we, and we're, we're uh, purposefully uh, uh, bringing our awareness with that particular sensibility in mind uh, as we work th- through each of the steps. Or another way he talked about it was that we may not necessarily work in a linear fashion you know, from one through number 16, but to think of it, I think he said something maybe like a jewel with 16 facets. And so they're all, you could think of them as all doorways in that can open into the others, uh, or, but we still may choose to purposely have a particular w- one of these in mind and put our attention. That is a, uh, is um, viewing this this list of 16 steps as being prescriptive. It's prescribing what to do. Many people practice and teach it in that way. And then the other way he was talking about is instead of prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's describing what happens, the natural unfolding, just by the simple practice of, of mindfulness of your breathing, by keeping it simple like that. It's a description of at least one of the, perhaps it, it doesn't unfold exactly like that for everyone, but of, of, a, of a possible uh, progression or unfolding. That's how uh, my own practice has unfolded. Um, so, you know, I, I can say it, it certainly can work that way too. And, and I, um, I, you know, Gil said he's been practicing 40 years. I'm pretty close, I, um, 43 years. My whole practice has been uh, mindfulness of breathing. That's not exactly true because as we're exploring, uh, we see that whatever technique we undertake, I like to view it as an entryway or a gateway, a doorway. And it opens us up into this deep exploration of, of uh, the nature of our own minds and bodies, the nature of all experience. Uh, the nature of reality. And so um, it goes beyond breath, and that's what we're already talking about just in with the, with the first tetrad, right? That we, just with working with the breath, we either then at step three, uh, we shift our awareness to expand into the whole body. Or if it's more descriptive, we just become more aware of our whole bodies as a result. So we see it starts to open up already into a lot of ways. So I just wanted to reinforce that so that um, I think the point Gil was making is for some people having a structure like that is very supportive. And for other people it can feel too complicating and it's stirring the mind up and I'm trying to remember which step I'm at everything. We can just bring it back to a very, very simple practice.
And there's not a right or wrong way or one better than the other. It's all a question of what supports each, how do we each uh, undertake or relate to it. So I just wanted to emphasize that. In, in meditation, or I, I would say in Dharma practice in general, when I use the term Dharma practice, um, of course, medita- we're here on a meditation retreat, so the meditation practice itself is a big deal. In my own mind, Dharma practice comprises more than that. It's, it's, it's our whole way of being, it's our daily life, uh, and meditation is part of what informs that. In, in our practice, we are trying to get somewhere and go nowhere at all at the same time. Uh, and you'll hear the language sometimes is like that. You'll hear sometimes, you know, we want to deepen some quality or strengthen this. Or that, that's a gaining or, or, or we're getting something. And you'll also hear people say things like nowhere to go, nothing to be, just, you know, being here. So we get both flavors. How can that be, right? How can we want to go somewhere and go nowhere at the same time? It seems like these are, we're trying to do two opposite things at the same time. Um, this, um, this apparent conflict, um, I think it resolves itself when we realize um, we're actually only doing one thing. There is, uh, for sure, there's a path of cultivation. We are, you know, wanting to um, uh, strengthen the ability or deepen the ability of our minds to be steady as opposed to jumping or scattered all over the place, right? We're learning to open our hearts in um, love, compassion, kindness, <clears throat> we want to learn how to, uh, to, to, to live in a way that's more wise and skillful, right? Less reactive and more wisely responsive. And so in that sense, there's a path that, and we're deepening in all these wonderful, beautiful Dharma qualities. So you could think of that as a getting somewhere or a gaining, you could, is one way of speaking about it. But more fundamentally, how do we do that? It's all about uh, doing nothing that takes us out of our present moment experience. It's actually about just being the actual practice. The way we d- undertake this is we want to not bring the attitude of trying to get somewhere, but how can we really be here, but really be here, right, deeply and profoundly in maybe ways that had been inaccessible to us before. That's the great this wonderful adventure that we're all on here together is to explore, uh, you know, how can we deepen our ability just to be here? And we all see how um, sometimes sitting quietly and being present with ourselves, and if you haven't experienced this, um, um, everyone does at some point, um, we get to discover how good it feels and we find out places that w- of great beauty in ourselves that we didn't even perhaps know was there. And we also have the times when we find that, you know, you come to a center like this and hopefully everyone has felt the sense of kindness and love, right? This doesn't feel like boot camp here. It shouldn't. I hope it doesn't. 
and a lot of permission and space to take care of yourself. Yes, we want to use the time well, but that's within the container of caring for ourselves in all these different ways. And so, and matter of fact, think about it, you don't even have to make anything happen. All we're asking you to do is to, and make yourself comfortable. There's some nice, uh, up by the windows if you need to lie down. I was getting the tour here. You, there's special benches if you need to lie down. Uh, we had a whole class on how uh, posture, so we make sure get yourself as comfortable as your body will allow, right? You may need to sit longer. Maybe you want to walk longer. So okay, there's a lot of permission here. And all we're asking you to do, not even you don't even have to make anything happen. Just sit quietly and be present with yourself. And we see how hard that can be sometimes. Yeah. So there's a lot of learning that's happening here. It's not always so easy. So this is the adventure we're on. It's kind of a great question for all of us. You know, can we, how can we deepen in a way of being present uh, where we um, let go of the, of the war with ourselves or the battle, right? And so I want to explore this topic a little as we move into the, um, uh, the second tetrad. <clears throat> You know, what causes us to be in a war with ourselves? And is that, as we investigate that, does it show a potential way out or a potential way of being? Uh, as you, um, so what we want to do then is, um, the question then is, since we're not trying to, it's okay to want to get somewhere, but the attitude we want to bring is a sense, so we're not over-striving, we're not getting tense, is to be present. And then the question then is, how do we work wisely and skillfully with whatever's happening? Sometimes that, even that language of working is not the right language because it's, it's about being. And sometimes what's needed in a moment actually is some way of working or being with it. We actually need to, I think of it, have an image of a lot of tools in our toolkit. And we collect them over time through experience. And so we're all here learning, uh, you know, through experience we'll have more, uh, we'll come to know how to work in a wider range of circumstances. One of the problems that we can fall into is, um, like I'm, uh, sorry, look up here, I imagine uh, when they built this place, I noticed these beautiful kind of square, not tiles, but square sections in the ceiling. So I'm imagining the carpenter comes in and there's a job to do. The carpenter comes in, looks at the ceiling and sees, ah, I see these get screwed in. Carpenter doesn't throw a fit saying, I wanted to saw something. And this takes a screwdriver. It's all ruined. A carpenter just moves in and with experience doesn't even have to think, right? At first, if you're an apprentice, maybe it's like, well, how do you put this in? Somebody else shows them. You learn. With experience, you see what's needed and you apply it. And you're not judging the task before you, right? But what is it that happens for us? We come in to meditate, say, or on retreat. You sit down. We think it's great when um, we're concentrated, the body's at ease, those pesky all old um, psychological wounds are not 
coming up or whatever, right? That's a, we all know what a good, what's a good meditation period? We all know, right? Basically, it's judged by, because uh, it's p- very pleasant, we would say, right? What's a bad sit? We all know, right? We're judging it because it's not going our way or when, when it's difficult, we think it's all falling apart. It's not falling apart. There's actually no such thing as that. There's only what's happening. And so if you can't concentrate, if your body's aching, I mean, you want to care for your body and not hurt it, so sometimes we need to fix it and all of that, but, or you're dealing with your uh, worry or anger or shame or grief or whatever it is, it's not going wrong. It's just what's happening in the moment. And so then the question is, well, what do I need? Do I need a screwdriver? Do I need? It's not, I need to be in a different room. Uh, I don't want to work on these panels. Actually, the carpenter, that's my analogy is breaking down. The carpenter might have that option. Say, you know, Joe, come here, take the panels. I'm going to varnish the uh, handrail. Okay. If you come and sit here, you're making a choice, right? And unless you choose to get up and walk out, you're working on the whatever. How can we learn to be with that? <clears throat> if you keep meditating, <clears throat> your ability of your mind to be more settled or steady, we sometimes use the word concentration. That word concentration, it's a, nothing wrong with it, but it has a lot of different connotations. The word samadhi, it, it actually has the meaning of undistracted. So I'm going to keep saying concentration just because everyone uses the word. Uh, it's not my favorite, but they didn't ask me, the early translators, so we're stuck with it. Uh, but I mean undistracted. The ability of your mind to be steady and undistracted will grow. During those times, th- that's what your experience is presenting you in, in the moment. So we can, you just can keep it simple. Stay with your breathing, and you just continue with, with that. Very simple. That's what's happening in the moment. And there's a lot more that can be said, and we work in the interviews. We say a little bit here about how do we work as that process deepens and and unfolds about this concentration. It's a a whole realm that can open up. It's, it's, It's a lot. You don't have to turn to another kind of practice called insight meditation. I mean, you can, There's, there are lots of, I mean, most of the ways it's taught is, is that, you know, there's kind of practices we call insight. You just keep with what's before you in the present moment. We're in the structure. I'm just talking because of the spirit of what we're doing here. When your mind's settled and concentrated, you stay with that and you take the concentration as far and deep as you want to go. On its own, without you doing anything to make it happen, if in case you haven't noticed, <laughs> uh, you'll soon find out. There will be many times when you cannot concentrate. Your body's going to hurt. Or emotional, psychological things. Are, all this other experiences are happening. Rather than struggling to try and get back to the concentration, all we have to do is stay attuned to what's happening in the moment. Your experience is serving up exactly what you need. 
you're on the insight side of the practice. And so during these times then, what, what we need the tools, we need to learn how to learn how to be present with this. How do I let go of my suffering, right? We say we want to be free of suffering and we want to understand our suffering. How is it that you understand something? Well, it's through, you know, coming to know it, experience, right? How are you going to understand your suffering? Well, you have to suffer. Yeah. Don't go looking for suffering, right? I'm of the school of thought of err on the side of comfort and care for yourself. I think that uh, contributes to a sense of ease and relaxation. You don't have to go looking. It, it will, it's going to find you. Yeah? Isn't that true? It finds all of us. So we have plenty of opportunities. Don't worry, you'll get plenty of opportunities. And when you're on, I, I call that you find yourself, it's, it's a little bit of an artificial way of talking. You're leaning on the concentration side or leaning on the insight side, but just as a way of speaking. And so we don't want to miss the opportunities <clears throat> that are there for us. And I'm really serious about that. We want to see these as opportunities. If we want to make shifts in the habitual or conditioned patterns of our minds, change the conditioned patterns, and ultimately, hopefully, maybe even transcend our conditioning, how can you get, to get at your conditioning? You cannot see it directly, right? Where is it? It's not, you can't, you can only get to it indirectly when you bump up against some experience and it lights up some, I don't know, neural pathway or whatever, and there's some reactivity um, uh, that you maybe hadn't seen, now we want to view that as an opportunity. If we can hold everything with an experimental attitude, the experimental attitude is not afraid of anything that might happen. It just opens up to you know, what is happening and, and let, let me see, let me learn how to be with it or work with it most skillfully. Yeah? And so then we, we hold it with that. Uh, again, you don't have to go, if there are respected paths of practice that actually seek out suffering in order to work with them, and so some people practice that way, and it's great, it's a whole path, uh, however you choose to practice, but um, you'll have plenty of opportunities, and let's hold them as opportunities, and then we can learn to be relaxed around them, not be so reactive. Oh, my retreat's falling apart. What happened to this, to my concentration that I had yesterday, or for some of you, when am I going to get this concentration? I keep hearing about whatever. And then, on its own, without you doing anything to make it happen, or you may choose to shift your, shift your emphasis, things will settle out the next afternoon, the next sit, the next day, your body's more at ease, the emotions, emotional roller coaster is kind of settled out. You can concentrate, you're back on the concentration side. Then you just, that's what your experience is presenting you in the moment. So you can just keep it, your back simple, you're staying with your breathing, and then we, we just develop. And by doing this way, I think you really get the best of all worlds. We can take both the concentration and take it as deep and far as you want out of an attitude of not trying to get, having to get anywhere. Right? It's all about just being here, but we get that, and we get all of the uh, flowering, the, the, the blossoming of, of, of insight sides, too. And so in this way, we learn. It's really a beautiful sense of surfing, or I think flowing seamlessly 
back and forth on the concentration side, the insight side, or, or maybe a better way is just through the, the ever-changing, the ups and downs and all the changes of our experience. And we learn to find the freedom, the liberation, the equanimity in the midst of it all. So that's a simple way to kind of hold it if, you know, as another kind of way to frame how you can, how we're talking about working with this Anapanasati. So part of what happens as you start to, I said, as you keep meditating, you will find times when you're more concentrated, that's settled or steady. How will you know when you start to become settled or, you know, for those of you who maybe haven't had that experience yet, you're new and wondering what that's going to be. You will know because you're having certain experiences that are telling you you're more steady or concentrated. And so it's highly individual, highly, highly individual. But I'll name some of the common kind of experiences that can happen. You might start to have experiences of more stillness, calm, peace, Uh, some people quiet. Some people might start to feel quite expansive. You might be wondering, well, what's that? But you can have an experience. You just, your mind, your body just feels expansive. And when it happens, it'll be clear. You can start to have very pleasant experiences arising. Um, uh, sometimes, oftentimes, it, you feel them in the body. It can, for some people, it feels like energies are moving in the body. A real str- and it can be quite strong for some and traumatic. And for others, maybe not so strong, or, or maybe it's not such a movement, but just a feeling in the body. Or it can, this pleasant experiences can be, uh, maybe we don't know, it's not so obvious that it's in the body, maybe it's more mental, not sure where it's located. We're just having this pleasant experience. And then there's some other things some people, most don't, but some percentage of people might see lights. Most don't, but a few people might hear some sounds. All kinds of different manifestations happen. And um, this pleasant experience, um, there's a word, this is actually the, the, I'm moving to the, so we have the first four um, um, elements in the, uh, that Gil was talking about in the first tetrad. As we move to number five, there's this word in Pali, piti, that's generally translated as rapture or bliss. There are other translations too. And so it says, breathing in and out, I experience piti, rapture or bliss. Um, um, you know, uh, I, my opinions on the English translations may not count for much, <laughs> but uh, just for whatever it's worth, um, I wish we could find some better words. Uh, because in English, there's... Um, there's a lot of connotations around bliss or rapture. And so we tend to put our own overlay on what we think it means. Oh, where's this bliss? And we have some idea of what's going to happen. And so it's true for some people, it is quite dramatic. That is true. For other people, it's, they're just as deeply concentrated, but it's quite smoothed out. It's very, very individual, and that's not related to how deeply concentrated you are. It's just, it could have something to do with uh, how our nervous systems are organized, the physiology, it might have, I I don't really know. I just know it's very individual. It's worth paying attention to this a little bit because um, 
there's actually, so, so say this PT, these pleasant experiences start to happen. And when we talk about PT, that's usually, we're talking about the stronger experiences. Um, there's actually two things going on and it's important to um, recognize them. There's all the, say whatever, you're having energies, good feelings in your body, there's war- warmth, it's, it's, it's very pleasant, right? It's not a bad thing. They can get, sometimes it can feel very strong and maybe stronger than we want, right? Right along with that is just the undistractedness itself, the presence, the clarity of an undistracted mind. And they're not the same thing. And so if these things, when these things start to happen to you, even just a little bit, don't stir your mind up and make a big project about it. But once in a while, check in to notice, like, how do you experience this PT? Is it in the body or not? The pleasant experiences. Don't, again, don't overdo it. You want to keep yourself, don't stir your mind up. And also notice that regardless of whether there's something dramatic or smoothed out, whatever, the actual undistractedness is not the same thing as the contents of this undistracted experience, which is this, can be all this pleasant. They're two different things. And I mention that because people can become Uh, not aware that they get quite engrossed or involved or entangled in, wow, I've got this bliss. I've been wanting the bliss and it's here, say, for example, right? Or whatever. And, 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 and get, and that's okay. We're not trying to deny it or push it away. Right. But, um, I remember once in one of my early retreats, I was talking to, I can't remember who it was. I went into the teacher and I was, I was opening up into new, and this is like, I don't know, 30 years ago, I was opening up in a new territory that I had and I was really excited about it. And I went and I was all excited and the teacher just said, well, um, I wouldn't get too, too overly excited. Uh, both, the, both the pleasant and unpleasant just keep getting stronger anyway. <laughs> and I felt a little deflated, but um, that was exactly right. <laughs> These are conditioned experiences, they come and go. So we're not denying it, it's right there and it's one of the steps we wanna know that it's part of what happens. So we don't want to diminish it in any way. It's, 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 it's important and it actually helps us. But we don't want to make it, you know, it's not going to last, right? Like I've had a lot of PT, but where is it now? I'm just sitting here talking to you, right? So, you know, these things come and go. So we want to be aware, there's two parts of this PT. We want to be aware of it when it's present. And... Um, we want to notice also that it can have a quality to help draw us in more. It can actually, it, it's a kind of a part of the momentum of the, of, the, of the samadhi, of the concentration. It can help to pull us in more. And so you'll notice that when you're more steady, more concentrated, oftentimes, maybe all the time, you don't have to do, the doing is a lighter and lighter touch as its own momentum can take over more and it's more goes from a, a doing to just a being and a letting go into more, right? And so we can just be aware, I, this deserves a lot more, but I just wanna say just, just because of time, I, I can't explore this much more, but that's just a few basics about this thing called PT. So that's number five, breathing in and out, you experience PT. The next one you breathe in, in and out, actually something that translates pleasure, sometimes happiness, a sukha, and so one of the things that can happen is, you know, you want this bliss, you keep hearing about it, you know, that's for me. And 
it starts to happen and we get excited. By the way, I forgot to add one more thing. This is how it can corrupt your mind. I'll just share you. This shows you how defiled my mind is. I remember once, uh, this was probably back around when I, was, when I was talking to that teacher, you know, many years ago, and I'm sitting in the meditation hall. And I was getting, I mean, serious bliss. <clears throat> way, and I didn't know it. It was new territory. And it was way beyond, I, you know, I wanted it. Now I'm getting it. And it was more than I had even thought. So you'd think, okay, I'd be happy. And the voice in my head said these words with this uh, inflection, more. <laughs> well, what should be, you know, a wholesome, beautiful state of mind was corrupted. It was just making me, it just building my greed. The more I got, the more I wanted. So, you know, we want to hold it with some wisdom, right? But another thing that can happen is at some point that PT can feel like it's a little too much because we start to see that a settled, quieter mind, it's subtler, but it actually is more satisfying. And either on its own, it will start to want to settle out as we're letting go and, and the mind simplifying or we might incline the mind in that direction towards a letting go and simplifying and things start to smooth out. That's kind of the idea of it. So it's still a, uh, a good feeling, but it's, it's, it, it's smoothed out, I would say. There. So that's why instead of rapture or bliss, it might be talked about as pleasure or happiness. The way I, this is just my own way of thinking of it, when, it in, when thinking of it and referring to it in terms of experience in the body, I choose to translate it as pleasure. And if it's more mental, I choose to translate it as happiness. I don't know what, you know, the poly scholars might do about that, but that's my own way of thinking. of it. Okay. So breathing in, we experience this PT and then it starts to settle out. We're getting subtler uh, to a happiness. Then let me just name these next two together and then I'll say a little more because this is, gets quite interesting now. So that was number five and six. Number seven, breathing in and out, we experience the mental formation. And then number eight, breathing in and out, we tranquilize the mental formation. So remember in the first tetrad, the third and fourth was breathing in and out, you experience the whole body. So it was an embodied and then the next step was it tranquilizes or calms the bodily formation. Well, here now, things are getting subtler, right? And we're now experiencing, so we're going to have to explain what do we mean by this term mental formation. We experience the mental formation, tranquilize the mental formation. The word that's used is um, sankara. Actually, I don't remember, the, some of you know the Pali, it might be like chitta sankara, I don't remember exactly. So chitta is, um, uh, we'll, we'll say mind, so mental formation. So what's this sankara? It's worth spending a few moments there because um, it really will give us a real key. And especially this is going to give us, I think it's, it, this is a real apex or pivot point, I think. You could say for all of the, the if we think of Dharma as a practice of liberation, this is giving us a real key here. Because one of the things, uh, when Gil was talking about the first, th first tetrad, it also says by 
fulfilling the, those first four steps, or by, by practicing them well, it fulfills the first foundation of mindfulness. Those of you who aren't familiar with all these lists, don't worry about it. Just keep it simple. All you have to do is relax and breathe. I mean, seriously. But I don't have time to explain all of that. But it, if for those of you who know, it fulfills that. The second tetrad, when practiced well and cultivate and develop, fulfills the second foundation of mindfulness, which is something called Vedana, which is we translate as feeling. So I'm going to come to that in a minute. How is it that by... Uh, experiencing piti, settling out into a more pleasure, sukha, and then experiencing and tranquilizing the mental formation, that really gives us the same effect as having fulfilled or practiced the second foundation of mindfulness on Vedana. This is really, so if you've fallen asleep through everything so far in the talk, this little spot might be worthwhile um, just to, you don't have to memorize any of this, but just you know, see if any of it lands on your mind. <clears throat> this word sankara is very interesting. Um, I'm aware of at least three main ways it's, it's, and there may be lots of others, but it gets used in some different ways that have a, actually a range of meanings. So one, I just said mental formation. Now, I don't actually know the etymology of the word, so um, I can't speak to it from that. I, I'm depending on um, translators. Okay, and, and, and so I've, you, know, you look up the various translations. There is the mental formation. Well, what's that? It could be that could apply to any thing that forms any mental experience, right? You could think of just anything in the mind. That's a very broad sense. So that's one way. It's uh, often um, uh, translated as volition. So that's intention or will, volition. Volition certainly is a particular mental manifestation or formation, formation. And so there might be a lot of, that's an important place to, um, that meaning is very important for a lot of uh, ways of thinking and understanding Dharma. There's another way that I'm going to focus on here that I think is important that I like, uh, instead of mental formations, mental fabrications. And actually I've heard another term uh, that I that I happen to like a lot, uh, you don't hear as much concoctions. What's that? <laughs> so mental fabrications. It has the sense of we're creating something in the mind. Right. This is a very interesting place to to pay attention to how we create worlds, create stories, create suffering, create our own, our really create our experience of being. Oftentimes, right. I'll give you an example of creating your own, um, your own, um, your own reality. Have you ever, on other retreats or maybe on this retreat, you're having a hard time? Bad sit. When is that bell going to ring? I'm not going to make it. You're struggling. You're struggling. You're struggling. And then this happens. You haven't even moved, and you just go, ah. Ever had that happen? You haven't even moved. That was, it's really an interesting place if it ever happens to pay attention to. You had a reality, you know, I'm, you know, this is terrible, I can't do it, and this isn't that big of a thing to happen. It's not, not very much. What's with that? Somehow that 
was a conditioning factor for your mind to let go. That whole suffering had been in your mind, right? Because you haven't even moved yet. Your knee still hurts, but somehow your mind went, ah, because you know you can move or whatever, right? That's an example of we didn't even notice when we were caught in the struggle of having created kind of a reality, if you will. And then this happened, and the mind created or it let go, maybe. I don't know if it created another reality, let go. So that's an interesting place. Notice if that ever happens for you. It's a good uh, place to pay attention. Right? I'm going to come back to mental fabric, to sankaras, in a moment. But I, to really understand what it's talking about, I want to move to what gets, comes to fruition or fulfilled through these practices which is called Vedana, this second foundation of mindfulness. So what's that? <clears throat> this word Vedana, and then that'll help inform coming, but these uh, mental fabrications and this feelings of Vedana, I think inform each other and become, come together. <clears throat> so it's often this word, the second foundation of mindfulness is often translated as feelings, or sometimes feeling tone. Um, but you know, in, in ordinary English usage, the word feelings are more kind of like emotions or moods. I feel happy or sad or whatever. It doesn't mean that here. <clears throat> it's a particular way of organizing experience. So you could organize, let's just think of all the whole range of our experience. <clears throat> One way you could organize it, if you wanted to just categorize it, if you will, you could organize it by which sense experience we're having. So let's just think about it. There's visual, so it's coming through different senses, through the eye, auditory, smell, taste, what's called touch, that's all body sensations. Those are the main five senses. And then in the, in the, in the, in the Buddhist understanding, the mind is considered a six sixth sense door because there's mental experience that can come. It can be related, what happens in the mind can be related to the body, but it's considered its own sense door, right? So all these ways that experience can come in. And we can organize all experience if you wanted to. You could classify it. Oh, it's a visual image, it's a sound, it's a smell, right? All of our sensations or sense input or experience. Well, there's another way you can organize it, which Vedan is doing, which is saying you could organize all experiences as being pleasant sensations or experiences, unpleasant sensations or experiences, or the third category, there's some that are kind of in between. They're, they're not particularly like, um, like for example, as I sit here and I'm looking straight ahead and a little up, and I'm just looking at the blank wall, a little section, it's, I can see that it's white and it's a visual image and it's not pleasant or unpleasant, right? You can get the idea, it's just kind of in between. Sometimes people will say neutral as shorthanded, but really I think the traditional language, it's, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, that's what we mean. I'll say neutral for shorthand. Right? Why would we want to bother to categorize experience, particularly in this way. Well, this goes back to what we were discussing on opening night. If you remember, I, I gave a short little five minutes or less about 
taking refuges. And if you remember, I said, well, you know, what's a, what's a refuge? A place of where we're okay, a place of well-being. And I was saying that, you know, the, the idea from a Dharma perspective is uh, the, the, the triple gem, those three refuges, is we're looking for something that's more reliable. What is it? And so this is a little bit of a repeat of that. This is important. What is it that most, not most of us, every one of us in this room are doing practically all the time? Whether you're conscious of it or not, and, and I, I hope it doesn't sound like arrogance for me telling you what you're all doing all the time. So you have to feel in and see, but um, we're moving towards or wanting to get more pleasant sensations or experiences. Right? Or you want more of what you want to happen to you. And we're moving away from or trying to push or get away the unpleasant, right? And I said, I was trying to get a laugh. I didn't get one. I guess it wasn't that funny. But uh, uh, I said, you know, there's no one here trying to have less of what you want and more of what you don't want happen. Right? But that's, that's an important place to look. And I don't think we're doing anything wrong. It it's really seems to be so deeply part of being a living being. You know, I'm imagining if you had a, a single cell organism, you know, and if it's one that, doesn't like the light and you shine a light, maybe it kind of squishes away or if it likes the nutrient, it'll kind of come. This is what we do. So I don't know that we're not doing anything wrong, but the problem is if we're not aware of these patterns, this is what makes the world go round. So I want to offer you an experiment to do, to take away from, you can do it while we're sitting here if you want, but to do. Take some time if you haven't done it to watch your mind. There's a couple of things to notice. First of all, it might be noticing how much of your, of your thoughts are some version of, am I okay? Am I gonna be okay? How am I gonna be okay? Why am I not okay? I'm ne- it's all it, it, it worries, planning, strategizing. You know, well, if I get my book published, that's, that I'll be, this or if, if I get rejected or what it's all really some version of like having good the good and not having the terrible now we don't want to lose wisdom that process is doing us some good right so if if you know if the milk went bad and you smell it that's unpleasant Vedana right don't drink the milk so there's all, or whatever, I don't know, that wasn't, it's just sometimes these goofy examples pop in my mind. Um, you have to have that to function in the world. But the problem is we go way, way beyond that and we create our whole reality without even realizing it about our judging and comparing and, and making, we don't let things be in their own way. We make them into something, what we like, what we don't like, and our whole life is we're kind of like slaves in a way. We don't have any freedom. We're at the mercy, we're at the effect of, what would you say, the um, you know, vicissitudes of life. And in case you haven't noticed, sometimes you get what you want. 
Sometimes you avoid what you don't want. Sometimes you don't get what you want, despite your best efforts. You did everything right. Sometimes you get what you don't want. Sometimes you don't get what you want. This is life. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's just, it, it's nothing going wrong. It's just an all, it's just a cha- constantly changing process. So while we want to, uh, while we want to um, keep wisdom, and, or I should say discernment, so that we will make wise and skillful choices, we want to take care of ourselves. I, I, I know there's a story uh, from Ajahn Chah. He was saying one of his young monks, they lived in these little huts, kutis, and a storm came and blew the roof in, I guess maybe thatched roof or whatever. So he we, we had the little walls of the hut and half collapsed roof. Someone reported to him, uh, um, you know, you know uh, Ajahn, this monk's over here and he's not fixing his roof. And Ajahn Chah went over and the guy's just still living in, you know, when the sun would shine, he'd sort of scurry under the shade a little or to get out of it, but he just wouldn't fix the roof. And Ajahn Chah asked him, well, what, what are you doing? You got to fix your hut. And he said, uh, um, well, you, I, I don't know what you want from me. You know, you asked me to let go and I let go so deeply. I even, you know, I just accept this and you're still not happy with him. And then Ajahn Chah said something like, um, well, th- why do you even bother moving under the the collapse part here. And, and then he told him, you know, you got to take care of yourself. And, and then he said something, I don't think he said to the monk, but in the talk said, some people can be so stupid like this. So I think the point is, you need to live in a way that's skillful and right and take care of yourself. And th- that's not what we're talking about. We don't become passive blobs and just let, you know, there's another story uh, comes out of one of the Hindu traditions. Um, um, you know, somebody's walking up the hill and someone comes running down the mountain path yelling, um, mad elephant, mad elephant, get out of the road, mad elephant, runs past. And um, uh, the pilgrim's there and says, uh, you know, God will, I have faith and deeply devout religion, I have faith, God will protect me. Mad elephant comes, runs, tramples, kills the guy. Wakes up in heaven, he says to God, um, what happened? I, I had faith in you. And God said, I ran down the road yelling, get out of the road, mad elephant. So we don't want to lose. <laughs> well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the ways our minds create suffering. That's what this is about, and freeing ourselves from suffering. That's the unskillful, unhelpful, actually harmful or unwholesome aspect of being driven by this, by a pleasant and unpleasant experiences. And so you can see for yourself, the experiment is not, I got a little sidetracked, ex- noticing how much of our mind is about strategizing, and w- but it's really about having more of what we want to happen and not having, you know, what we don't want to happen, right? And how much that of a suffering generator that is. So what happens now, so we, if we understand what Vedana is and why it's important to pay attention to Vedana and bring our mindfulness right there, right? Because part of the teachings is, is that the suffering that comes from clinging, 
we'll talk uh, in a couple of nights about the fourth tetrad and you know what's this non-clinging what's a liberation through non-clinging we'll just leave that for now that's a big question um, what is it that conditions the mind to cling it's this word craving tanhan pali not desire some people think buddha the buddha said desire is bad but that's not true desire they talk about it all the time want to have a desire for in a wholesome sense right for you know to move deepen in the dharma for example it's a particular kind of desire the word tanha actually has i think the meaning is thirst that's a special kind of desire thirst when we're craving for something that's what conditions the mind to cling to hold on i need this or definitely not that right what conditions the mind for craving it's this um <clears throat> it's this vedana because we're having these pleasant and unpleasant experiences and we want more uh pleasant and we sure as heck don't want you know i don't want this knee pain the reason we pay attention is because we start to make a shift so for example i'm sitting right now with knee pain in this knee and i'm not making any grand claims at all many of you are going to relate exactly to what i'm about to say my mind is is perfectly equanimous i'm not saying i've never been reactive okay you know until we're buddhas ourselves the potential for greed hatred and delusion is still there in our minds by definition so okay but i'm just using an example right we can shift our relationship it's not like Oh my god and I got 9 more minutes in this dharma talk and god if I stretch my knee out cuz I'm the teacher up here uh, you know that's suffering I've created a world I'm back into mental fabrications that came out of the vedan you can start to see if I quiet not only do I experience it so I have more awareness but also it starts to let go the the eighth element tranquilizing calming this process of creating realities concocting mental fabrications based on sensation if i know it's unpleasant then that's the question can i have the letting go around it and have the heart and mind be really at peace in the midst of unpleasant so that's the experiment for you to to do keep it simple just breathe okay on your own if it's descriptive as your mind settles you'll have more times when you naturally notice all these processes happening oh it's unpleasant or it's ple- pleasant you don't even have to go looking oh the mind's reactive ah i can't let go around it or oh maybe i can't whatever or you may consciously decide i want to investigate vedana and so you that's more of the inquiry and investigation aspect rather than it just happening as a fruit of mindfulness of breathing you decide uh oh i really want to explore this and then you'll consciously turn toward that's a whole important piece that we'll have in our toolkit also when do we let it just naturally come to us when are the times when we really want to uh look and so you need to have both aspects actually consciously turning to the insight side even if you think oh i really want to do concentration you know we want to 
be able to turn to it. Right? And then we start to learn and learn to let go. If what you find out is you can't let go around it, um, it's okay. I mean, it's suffering, <laughs> right? Maybe I shouldn't laugh, right? It's suffering. But you're learning something. We bring the experimental attitude. And even if we say, I can't let go around it, it's either telling us, this is actually beyond my capacity, if I'm really honest with myself. Not judging what I should do, but you know, it's too much for me. I'm going to stretch my knee out. That's not out of aversion, that's out of wisdom. Or we start to uh, learn, this is like we were saying earlier about we're on the inside side. We start to lear learn or at least bump up against or explore, well, is it possible to let go of my suffering around this or not? So we're not driven by the Vedana, by bringing the awareness to it. We're not, uh, uh, it's pointing to where we can look. So next time you're suffering, the invitation is to um, just check out, if you can remember. Is that suffering f uh, having to do with um, um, somehow cannot find the equanimity or the liberation in the midst of this experience because the mind can't let go? Just look to see. Oh yeah, I'm, why am I suffering? Because I can't take it anymore. <laughs> oh. So, and then we start to expand our circle to include more and more and more of the experience of our lives. Right? Did I use that image of us sitting at this in the center of the circle? Have I used that? Oh, nobody's answering. Well, I'm. Here's the image. Imagine yourself, there's a, there's a um, circle and there's you sitting in the center and the circumference of that circle encompasses, it contains all of the experience, your experiences, every experience of your life, everything within that circle is experiences that you can uh, be at peace and equanimous in the midst of, in the face of, pleasant, unpleasant. If it gets strong, too strong, it goes beyond your circle. Um, it's, it's, it's beyond the capacity you've developed to find the place of peace. Right? That's the image. I, I made this up. It's not like a sutta or anything. So um, I actually don't know what the Buddha would say about it, but there's a thing about it. Um, <clears throat> I like to think of Dharma practice as um, two things. One is it's slowly expanding that's the diameter of that circle to encompass more and more of our life at which we rest clear, equanimous, with really with quiet minds and open hearts. Right? That gets bigger. And maybe the definition of a boot is there is no edge, you know, perhaps. And then when we put it into practice, the practice is knowing which side of the circle you're on. That's the discernment. Because what happens sometimes is we think, okay, uh, like I remember once, um, I haven't done a lot of real long sits, but I've done a few, uh, longest ever sat. Uh, people have done a lot longer than this, but it's three hours. Uh, that's a chunk. Uh, 
And I remember the first time I did it and I knew uh, I could feel, just somehow felt like I'm, it was going to happen. It wasn't like I'm going to do it, but I just, it just felt I'm just going to sit. And as I got more into it, I, it was, I, I got afraid. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm really, it's happening. And I went through all this, sitting, sitting, sitting. And for the first hour, I can sit hour, hour and a half. My, I've been doing a lot of years. My body doesn't bother me. Two hours, it hurts. Two and a half hours, it's really hurting. And then I was at two and a half hours. And so then, you know, I, again, this is the defilement of my mind. I thought, I'm going to bag three hours. <laughs> Can you believe it? I mean, what, what, what's with that? <laughs> you know, where's the wisdom? But I wanted to be able to say I'd sat for three hours. Well, that last half hour, I was just toughing it out. I was just shaking to make it through. No equanimity. I was getting through it. Where's the learning? Where's, it was just gritting my teeth and hanging on. So, okay, I chose to do it. Now I get to say I sat three hours. But um, it was on the other side of the circle at that point. You know, I could have got up. And other times, it's well within our circle. We really could find the liberation here. But we, uh, we think it's too much. And so, okay, we miss an opportunity. You know, you stretched your knee out and really you could have worked with it. So part of the skill is not only expanding our circle, but learning more uh, where we are in relationship to really what we can work with not and not being afraid. And of course, there, there could be a gray zone too. So as we, as you move forward, this idea of this, just keeping it back now to simple, there's this idea of the mental formations, which are mental uh, fabrications, it's just how we create our realities, you know, I like, I don't like, we have create our stories based on this uh, pleasant and unpleasant sensations. If we can start to be more aware and notice those places, oftentimes it can unmask places of, when we notice the unpleasant, it might kind of unmask a level of uh, uh, aversion that we hadn't noticed. Or if we notice it's really pleasant, sometimes it can reveal a level of clinging or craving that we hadn't noticed. And so we can just use it in a simple way like that just to help illuminate and form our practice. Um, please, I'm going to end, and so let's just please take a few moments to, um, you know, if, you, if you're not already doing so, I invite you to bring your mindfulness just back for just a few moments, connect into your body. <coughs> 